the climbing is so difficult. I couldn't put any gear in, so I just kept climbing, which is a mistake. It's not something uh experienced climber does. An experienced climber will either, you know, climb back down, figure, you know, put some gear in and rest on it or something. But I just kept going, and I fell, and I uh, the rope was caught behind my leg, and I fell head first, and I fell about 40 feet, and I was lingering about two feet above the ground. Um, and I was headed for a head first fall towards the ground, which, you know, could have killed me or, or done worse. Um, so that was that was just a terrible experience. Episode 291, we're talking rock climbing and the climbing zine with Luke Mihal. This episode is sponsored by Health IQ. If you're exercising regularly, don't you think you deserve a special rate on life insurance? Find out how much you can save by taking the health quiz for your adventure sport at healthiq.com adventure. A few minutes on their site could save you a bunch on your life insurance. Get rewarded for all your hard work at healthiq.com adventure. You're listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180 Tech. We talk with adventurers from around the globe to bring you the inspiration and motivation you need to get started in the outdoors or to keep you moving if you're already there. Now here's your host, Kurt Linville. Hey friends, Kurt here. Thanks again for listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast. We're really glad you're here today. Today's show is going to be on climbing and we have Luke Mihal with us. I'm going to introduce that here in just a minute, but before I do, a couple of quick announcements. First, We've been getting some inquiries from people about how they can help support the Adventure Sports Podcast. We really appreciate that. So uh, just a reminder about our membership site. If you go to adventuresportspodcast.com, on the right, there's a blue button that'll take you to our membership site. That allows you to um, sign up to be a member of the Adventure Sports Podcast. We get a little bit of, uh, of revenue off of that, but you get access to many, many hundreds, if not thousands of dollars in savings in adventure-related products and services. So you don't have to take advantage of hundreds and hundreds or thousands of dollars of savings if you don't want to, but we love it if you would support the show by becoming a member of the Adventure Sports Podcast membership site. We appreciate that very much. So thanks for that. Also like to remind you about 180tac.com. The Adventure Sports Podcast is brought to you by 180tac. That is our company. We sell natural fuel backpacking stoves there. Some really cool stuff. So if you're in the market for a stove, check it out. And by all means, uh, go to our site. You can contact us there, give us feedback about what you like about the show, what you'd like to see changed about the show. The show is about you. It's about the listener. We want to make sure that you're getting the content that you love So give us that feedback. It really helps. Now let's jump into today's show. Luke Mihal is in Durango, Colorado. He is a climber, and he is the owner and writer for Climbing Zine, the Climbing Zine. He is also a publisher of four different books, and today we're going to talk about climbing and the climbing lifestyle, and also quite a bit about uh, how to be an independent publisher in the outdoor space and the adventure space. So Luke, thank you very much for being on the Adventure Sports Podcast today. Thank you, Kurt. It's cool to have you here, man. So first, I got to get the backstory. You're you're you didn't grow up in Durango, right? So tell us where you came from and how you got there. Yeah, so I'm I'm from a town called Normal, Illinois, which uh, kind of perfectly describes the town and my experience growing up. You know, a great kind of one of those towns you say a great place to grow up, but you know, if you have adventure leanings, it's a it's a place to leave. So. I left there. Um, I started climbing there actually in a climbing gym um, called Upper Limits 
in uh, and it's in its heyday in the '90s. I think it was one of the biggest ones in the in the world. Actually, it's a wow. abandoned grain silos. And then I moved to Gunnison, Colorado, in 1999 uh, to go to school out there. Uh, it was called Western State College at the time. Now it's called Western Colorado University or something like that. They messed up the name, but <laughs> still a good place to go. <laughs> they, they got all fancy and became a university. And then about seven years ago, I uh, I moved down to uh, Durango. So tell us about Durango. I think Gunnison is a very special place, but I also think Durango is too. So you've had the opportunity to be in some great places. But since you're in Durango now, let's talk about Durango. Uh, what's unique about Durango, Colorado, for those who have not been there? Yeah, so Durango is kind of on the edge of the desert in the mountains. So it's uh, it's a mountain town, but it's not a mountain town. You really got to suffer through seven months of winter. You know, it's uh, very close to the desert and that's kind of what has really changed my climbing. It's not necessarily the climbing that's in Durango, but the climbing that's nearby, um, you know, out in what is now Bears Ears National Monument, um, also known, you know, the big area out there is Indian Creek. So, Well, it's kind of the gateway to the San Juans in the mountains, and it's also the gateway exactly, to, yeah. man, Canyonlands and Zion and, and all sorts of places that are a little bit farther west or south. So Durango is really interesting. It's great. It's great. It's also kind of one of those towns that makes those like BS outside magazine, you know, top five right. <laughs> adventure towns or whatever. But I, I think Durango's kind of gritty too. You know, we we have real. It's a small town with, you know, we don't have to dive into this too much, but it's a small town with kind of city problems and a lot of rural uh, poverty around here. So it's mm. it's kind of a gritty little town, despite the fact that you know, outside magazine is always. <laughs> referring to it as the top five adventure towns, but and it's a hard it's a hard town to make it into. It's it's uh, a lot of you know a lot of friends are constantly leaving because of jobs and things like that. So I think it's I think it's a little more gritty than uh, outsiders maybe realize who don't visit here very often. So yeah, well we have friends in Durango, and they told us years yeah. ago, if you want to move to Durango, bring your money with you, <laughs> right? <Yep. laughs> Figure out how to earn your money first. Don't expect to do it here. And that, that's yeah. regretful, but that, you know, that's kind of the plight of a lot of small towns in America these days. I mean, the money's in the city. For sure. You know? Yeah, and uh, it takes two jobs to make it here and three jobs to leave. <laughs> I've heard that <laughs> one, too. <laughs> that's funny. So. so what are your jobs, then, in Durango there? Yeah, so I, uh, I am a publisher and an author, and I uh, have recently um, just fully dived into doing that full-time um, I, uh, for the first five years I lived here, I was the manager in a, um, a taco place, best taco place in town, um, called Zia Taqueria. And, uh, so just recently stepped away from that and just making a dive into the publishing and writing scene. Right on. Well, that's awesome. So you just started going full time with the writing world, huh? Well, I did. I had a, a, a nine to five PR job actually at uh, Western State College up in Gunnison. Right. And, uh, I, I decided, you know, um, I wanted to do my own writing thing. I wanted to start my own company. And uh, so I had the I had the experience from that. So I had a good three years of, you know, paying my dues, writing press releases, writing feature articles of alumni, and uh, got my experience in that realm and then stepped out and kind of did the, you know, mountain town. We call it the Durango Tango, where you work a couple jobs. And just now I finally got the climbing zine in my books to have enough popularity that I can kind of branch out on my own. Well, that's awesome. Well, let's talk a little bit then about your books and about the climbing zine so that people get that context. Um, first of all, climbing zine, what is that? 
Yeah, so you, you got it first. You didn't call design. <laughs> Half the people call design, so you're, uh, you're on the way there. So the, the zine is actually something that started off just black and white, um, kind of like a skate. Uh, zines have their, their roots in skate and punk rock culture. Um, I've never really been a skater punk rock individual, um, but the main zine I was actually inspired by was called Dishwasher by Pete Jordan, and it was this guy who tried to wash dishes in all 50 states, and he had a zine. <laughs> so I, I stumbled across that one winter when I was living in Salt Lake City, and I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. So I started doing zines of creative writing, and then we decided to do a climbing zine, just thinking we were going to do one. And then um, people really liked it, so we did another. And uh, a good friend of mine, Mallory Logan, who I went to college with, is a designer, and she's like, hey, you guys should you know, stop being uh, black and white and punk rock style and you know kind of elevate it to magazine status so i think any any true zinester would probably say we're like kind of like a sellout zine because we we're kind of a hybrid between a climbing magazine and a zine we have color photos we have advertisements but i kind of took from the the culture of just doing your own thing doing you what you want to do and and kind of running with it so that's what the climbing zine is and it's also the other component is that it's a creative writing base so all of our stories are just stories we're not reporting on um we're not reporting on the big climbs that have happened we're not reporting on gear we're just telling uh creative writing stories that's very cool i've been going through your various sites here and looking at this stuff and the pictures are gorgeous very inspiring i like it uh that you have so much in the desert you know a desert's a great place to climb Uh, a lot of people though they're Mm -hmm. climbing in places you know like yosemite or or places like that, which are really not desert, but it looks like you've got a real focus on the desert here. It, it Naturally, it, it, it leans to that sometimes. I don't think all of our um, issues are like that, but uh, yeah, it, it's just naturally, it, it naturally leans that way sometimes. But hopefully, hopefully we're doing a good job of branching out and, and covering a lot of different things. But yeah, I think naturally the the desert is, um, it's, it's, you know, it's very photogenic and I, I spent a lot of time there as well. So yeah, I, I think that that happens and that happens naturally. And, uh, yeah, just those, those lines of Indian Creek are just so photogenic. Yeah, it's beautiful. So how can people uh, get more information or go online and see what we're talking about here? Yeah. So just climbingzine.com is our, is our site. And we're, since we're independent, uh, magazine, you know, we're, uh, we're not, um, our, our mode of distribution is quite different than, uh, some other, you know, glossier magazines. So the number one way to support us is to subscribe to the climbing zine. And you can do that through our site. So climbingzine.com, no the, is that right? No the, yeah, it'll reroute you if you do the, I think we bought that too, so. (laughs) All right, right on. Well, I gotta ask, you're building a lifestyle around writing about climbing, but what's driving it? Is it the writing or the climbing, or is it really the hybrid of the two? I mean, it's both, you know, I definitely have climbing, or I have writing in my blood, you know, my mother's an English teacher, so. I, uh, that's just something that I think I was, was born with to be a writer and, and discovered that when I was going to college up in, in Western state. Um, and then climbing is this, um, thing too, where I feel like it's in my blood now after being a climber for, you know, about 18 years. Um, but you know, climbing is this, you know, I definitely have that addictive personality. I definitely like, if you study climbers enough, there's certain personality types and I kind of have that like addictive personality that like climbing is that thing that that drives that and that can be healthy or unhealthy but for me you know uh climbing is is better than a, dr- a drug addiction you know so right um so 
so they've they've kind of been around the same amount of time with me and uh you know i just really love to write about climbing and i think the beauty about writing about climbing is you don't have to be a, a world-class climber to become a climbing writer you know i'm, I'm not at that upper echelon of climbers but you know climbing's lifelong activity it's a passion activity so it doesn't you know, I think you realize after a while, if you try to be good, which I definitely did when I was in my younger 20s, I did want to be a, a really great climber. Um, but I think you just realize after a while, you know, it's this craft, it's this art, and it's this lifelong activity. Mm. You know, I think a lot of our listeners out there are really curious about how they can, I'm going to say, take that alternate lifestyle away from the eight to five cube job that is so famous, you know, in our modern world and find a way to live a life that is a little bit more meaningful, perhaps, for them, right? And so you've, you're building this lifestyle. What advice do you have for people who are like, no, nah, I don't want to be in the cube farm. I think I really do want to be outside. I want to be active. And somehow I've got to support myself doing this. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that's, that's a really tough one. I, I think, you know, to start with, I mean, like, look at, look at your house. What do, you, what do you have that you really need? Um, I mean, do you really need that um, $150 a month cable bill? You know, do you really need a huge house? Do you really need um, a car payment, all those things? And, you know, I think plenty of people um, want the luxuries of life, and I I do too, um, but I kind of got my foundation from, you know, being a dirtbag climber when I, all I really wanted to do after I graduated college was live out of my car and go climbing. And, you know, that's, you know, I, I was able to support that washing dishes in the summer and living in a tent. <laughs> so I think if you're willing to downsize, that's, that's the easy, um, that's the easy answer right there. But, you know, I think a lot of people do want the future comforts of life. Um, and I think, I guess the other side of that is just looking at the trends and, um, technology and, and different things like that. And then there's a whole nother environmental conversation there, but, um, I just think, you know, a lot of people lament about social media. They lament about cell phones and where we're going. But some of those tools have really enabled people like me to craft out a um, an independent way to earn a living. And, um, you know, I think certain people with their nine-to-fives might look at my income taxes and be like, ooh, I don't, I don't think I can swing it with what's going, you know, like on, on that amount of money. So I'm not saying I'm, you know, I'm, I'm making a lot of money or anything, but I'm able to, to live that lifestyle I really want to live. So I think just like taking, you know, examining your, looking at your budget and looking at what you spend on certain things and what you actually need and what you want. And, um, you know, I think that packing everything up into a storage area and hitting the road for a while is, uh, is, is one way to find out if the lifestyle is actually for you, you know. Uh, and when I was doing it, it wasn't in the days of cell phones. It was in, you know, I remember living in Joshua Tree in, I think, 2006, and I was just floating around, evading the rangers, using a payphone for my phone calls and washing dishes. And that was that's a pretty gritty lifestyle. And even now, you throw a cell phone, you throw a, a van or something into that, it's still it's pretty gritty, kind of lonely lifestyle. So it's, it's you know, do you, do you really want it, I think, is, is one way to look at it. But then, you know, coming in with some different aspects, different ways to earn a living. I think there's just so many opportunities to be creative right now. I think it's, it's just really exciting. I think where, um, where the publishing world, you know, for me in particular, cause that's how I make my money. I think the way, the direction that's headed right now is actually quite exciting, quite exciting. If you're an independently, um, minded person. You know what? I'm going to come back to that a little bit later in the show. Cause I want to hear more sure. about that specifically. 
Um, so we'll leave that as a teaser for, for people that are interested in that. What I guess I want to kind of get to the bottom of here is you've chosen a lifestyle maybe with less stuff but more experiences, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, the question I have is, you know, what has climbing done for you? Are you convinced that this is a lifestyle that you were supposed to live and, and it's where you want to be? 100%. Um, yeah, climbing saved my life. Um, and that, that's something that is, you know, it's probably a better story for to read, you know, like in my memoir, American Climber. But uh, I just, when I was, when I got into climbing, I was quite depressed and, you know, kind of always on some substance, one or the other. I was an ADD kid. So I was, you know, ADD medication and I was huffing cigarettes and, um, you're just kind of on a substance all the time, and uh, that's that's the kind of mindset I, you know, very very de- severely depressed when I got into climbing. So, um, climbing has has that meaning for me. It's it's not just a sport that I love. It's it's this um, activity that that really made me appreciate life more, and also made me realize, you know, you're you're going to be more happy with the highs you get out in nature than any high you get from. A drug, you know. Um, oh yeah. So climb, climbing fully saved my life, and I just I'm a hundred percent in love with climbing and in, in, in just the community around it right now. I mean, it's it's just I I just love it. It's like kind of that, you know. I hope everyone has that one thing in their life where it's, um, you know. I think Bob Dylan has this line where it's like you can um, find God in the church of your choice. You can find Woody Guthrie in the Brooklyn State Hospital. Either way, you can find them both in the Grand Canyon at sundown. So it's kind of like that. Um, yeah, that that I hope that that thing. I hope everyone finds whether it's you know in in um, in a certain kind of faith or it's in the activity they do. But it's climbing that one thing for me that I just I love it and I want to do it you know until the day I die. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. So just give us a, a couple of highlights when you first started climbing. You already said that you were. Uh going through some really tough times, depressed and substance abuse perhaps, right? But yeah, yeah, how did yeah. climbing change that? I mean, you make it sound like, dude, I started climbing and, and life was brand new. How did that happen for you? It was, yeah. It's. I mean, I think it's just the thrill of climbing, you know? Um, and I was I was um, definitely, uh, definitely more stoked in the traditional side of climbing. So, like, um, I think climbing devil's tower is going to have more meaning than climbing the blue and pink route at the gym. So I think, um, you, you know, the magic of climbing, it's, it's elusive for sure. Um, but for me, it was, it's nature, you know, it's not just climbing. It's like being in nature and, and appreciating nature. Um, so I, I think that's, that's where the, the joy of climbing comes for me is just like appreciating nature and then the adventure that comes along with it. And, you know, there's definitely something to be said for the adrenaline and the, the thrill of risk-taking, um, which, you know, I, I, time and time again, climbers will talk and write about the similarities between climbing and drug addiction. <laughs> so I think that just the, the thrill of climbing is very much like a drug, and that's where you really got to be careful, though, too, because, <laughs> you know, you, you can't just, you can't, climbing alone is not going to make you happy. You still need relationships. You still need career and you still need um balance and health uh, so hopefully that answered your question there yeah that's cool yeah. i think what happens with adventure sports is that they they make us active for one they help connect us to nature right for two but there's something about having something that we're passionate about that we can go out and put some energy into that that kind of provides a positive feedback for the rest of life 
And it's, absolutely, absolutely. You know, it's so easy to be sedentary and to kind of get in the routine of just the job and and life kind of numbs out, if you know what I mean. But when you find mm-hmm. something you love to do and you start doing it, then it's like, whoa, this is fun. Life is good again, and that energizes everything else. At least, yeah, you know, that's what that's, it does for that's me. That's a good word, just the energy, yeah. Having yeah. energy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, what about community? You mentioned community, and I think that's mm-hmm. another aspect of adventure sports that uh, is really, really cool, because if you love to do something, you're going to meet other people that love to do that, right? So what about the community in your life around climbing? I mean, I, I just, I love the climbing community. Um, I think it's the, for me, it's the, um, the, the and it's the industry for me too. So the people in the climbing industry are really great. Um, and the climbing community is, it's, you know, um, it's, it's so big now. I, you, you can't just say, I love the climbing community. Um, for me, it's, it's, I love the climbing community I'm a part of. And uh, these are my my friends I've been friends with since I was 20, 21. And we've got a, a tight circle of friends. And they're just, you know, the people that would lay their life down for your life, you know. So it's for me, it's it's this circle of my friends. And it's, you know, it, it's cool because it's kids. It's people that are kids, you know, from 16 to, you know, I mean, how old, how old is Fred Becky? 93, <laughs> Fred Becky, you know, wow. legendary climber. Yeah. But, my my point is that you know we have a, a wide wide range of um, of ages and uh, most of you know our, the community that I am really a part of is the community that's around Durango that's around uh, Southeast Utah and uh, it, it extends quite a bit but it, climbing nowadays is just in pocket so I just have you know my my close friends and the ones that appreciate the type of climbing that I like to do are my climbing community. And then the greater climbing community is just huge now. So I can't really, you know, I don't, I don't have a finger on the pulse of what it's like to walk into a, you know, a gym in New York city and and feel part of that community, but that's still a climbing community. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah. So, so mine is, is just my, my friends and it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a number of people, but it's still just a small percentage of the larger climbing community, even just in the United States. Yeah, that's another thing you mentioned just from the United States. I mean, it's climbing is a worldwide thing, and that's also very For cool sure. because you can yeah. combine climbing with all sorts of adventure travel. But, yeah, um, you know, I wanted to, to ask you to describe what you think was just an awesome day of climbing so that people get a feel for what we're talking about here. When you climb, what's it like? Yeah, so I think it's it, it varies, you know. I mean, some days you're you're not on, um, so I think that any any climbing day has to listen to that uh, that third eye, that inner voice of like, because climbing's so risky, and you can uh, on any given day you can end your climbing career. Um, so I think first off, you know, like how am I feeling on this route? How am I feeling today? Um, you know, wh- where am I at? You know, if I did I just like. Am I having problems in a relationship or am I, you know, um, having problems at work or whatever? Just, so it's just kind of listening to that inner voice. Um, but a really good day, I mean, you're just, you're just kind of instinctually on and um, things are feeling good. But, I mean, for me, like, the, uh, the ultimate best day is to complete a first ascent. Um, so to do a new climb without falling. And, uh, I mean, that, that feeling is, it's, it's like kind of feeling of, it's kind of blend sport and art because, um any climb that's been done before, it's it's kind of known of what you're supposed to do. But a climb that hasn't been done before is it's just up to you. So there's no grade on it. You know, climbs are graded, uh, which is a whole another conversation. But 
Uh, I mean, just yeah, just the ultimate um, to complete a first ascent that's at your limit is just like this this cool, cool blend of sport, art, and just like your own personal effort. And uh, oftentimes it takes, you know, years to, to do that. I mean, you look at Tommy Caldwell and uh, Kevin Jorgensen's famous Donwall. I mean, that took them 10 years, you know, and, and when they completed it, and they, the whole world was watching them. So wow. um, for for better or worse, you know, um, I mean, they, I just saw Tommy present in Lander last week at the Climbers Festival, and he was talking about how President Obama called him. <laughs> like, so I mean, that, that's the that's the <laughs> ultimate example of like the the greatest first ascent, um, you know, that, that has probably been done in our lifetime. But you know, personally, it's just like you you get done with something like that, and it's just like this. Sometimes it's uh, I think the the craziest experience you're almost even out of body where you're like this is happening to me and i'm practicing something i've dreamed about and, and uh been working on for so long and it, it's almost just like almost like the best climbing moments are just like surreal like wow this isn't even this isn't even my life like how is this you know it's just it's so good you, you can't even fathom um you can't even fathom that it's you but i mean those those moments are probably ones every five years or something too so i'm not saying that that happens every day, but those just grand moments where it's almost like transcendentalist, those are, those are moments that, yeah, maybe happen five to 10 times in a, hmm. a climbing lifetime. So, um, so there's that. And there's, you know, just a good after work session where you've been sitting in your office all day and, um, you're kind of feeling, you take motivation to just get out of the house and then you get, get on the rock and get onto the local boulders and you start to feel the movement and, feel some blood flow and you're, you you kind of remember that little magic that you've been trying to write about all day. So, Hey guys, it's Travis. Hey, we are almost on episode 300 of the adventure sports podcast. Now that's a lot of adventure inspiration. And what I would love to do is hear from you guys. I would like to know if you guys have been inspired to go out and do some cool things or try some new, uh, adventure sports that you've heard on the show. So do us a huge favor, write to us, let us know what your inspiration was and what you guys ended up doing with it. Or if you have the means, go ahead and record some audio and send it to us to us and we'll throw that in the show. But we would love to hear from you guys and we'll play it on episode 300. So hope to hear from you. Hey friends, Kurt here. You know, we might have the healthiest audience of any podcast on the planet. I don't know. It, it, it just... Seems to me that people that are out there doing adventure sports have to be pretty healthy. They appreciate being healthy, and they love to get out there and move. And we recently got a new sponsor, Health IQ, and they reward people who love to be healthy. This is cool stuff. So do you exercise five times a week? If so, then you probably think you deserve a different rate on your life insurance. You're not the smoker. You're not the one who's out there abusing his or her body and, and having a lot of health issues that result. Instead, you're out there moving and eating right and doing right things. So shouldn't your premiums be lower? Health IQ uses science and data to secure special rates on life insurance for health-conscious people like cyclists, runners, strength trainers, vegans, and more. Matter of fact, research shows that those who frequently exercise with some intensity have a 22% lower cancer risk, a 56% lower heart disease risk, and up to a 34% lower risk of an early death. So why not get rewarded for that? Historically, 
You get penalized for your family history, body mass index, and other attributes, but you don't get rewarded for your health-conscious lifestyle. Well, Health IQ does reward you for your health-conscious lifestyle with special rates on life insurance. How cool is that? To get more information and a free quote, go to healthiq.com forward slash adventure and make sure you do use that forward slash adventure that makes sure that they know where you heard about them on the Adventure Sports Podcast. So healthiq.com forward slash adventure. Here's a question for you. Is climbing your training, or do you train so that you can climb? Uh, climbing's my training. I don't really, I'm kind of like the old school um, type of climbers. You know, I do a little bit of hangboarding and a little bit of antagonist muscles and a little bit of cardio, but I don't, um, I, I, I never climb on plastic really ever. So, so um, what are the health benefits that you've experienced from climbing then? If that's your training, what's it done for you? Yeah, yeah, I think uh, a lot of it's uh, mental, um, mental, uh, I guess, stability, um, and I think, I think just the, you know, breathing fresh air, being outside, um, it, it does a lot for you, and you, you kind of have to drink enough water, you have to eat a, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not an, a prime example of a, <laughs> a healthy diet or lifestyle or anything, but it, it forces you, I mean, you got to drink a certain amount of water to feel good. You got to eat in a certain amount of nutrition to perform. So I think it just kind of brings you back to that just basic health, you know? Um, but I, I think most of all, it's just, yeah, it's that mental, the mental fitness. Um, and you know, you can't really be, you, you've got to have some sort of just general fitness to climb. I actually met this gentleman, uh, recently who said he got down from, he'd, he'd probably be a good interview, but City got down from 300 to 150 pounds in the last year, year and a half, just from climbing alone, and uh, and just like that, what that brought into his life, um, I thought was was pretty interesting. So I think, it, yeah, it's, for me, it's just more that basic um, health and fitness, and then that mental um, that mental sharpness and, and clarity that that climbing brings is is really where I where I find the fitness. Right. You know, it, in my world. If someone tells me, you need to go to the gym, I'm like, yeah, I'm sure I do. You know, you need to eat the right food. Yeah, well, the right food would be wise, you know. But I guess the point of that is that those things alone are not motivating enough for some people to be healthy. Sure. You know, it's like, why would I do that? It's so much more fun to do this or that or the other. And that's what I love about adventure sports, whether it's climbing or mountain biking or whatever it is. It's like, hey, I love doing this. And I do it better when I'm healthy. And then mm-hmm. it, it starts to channel your whole lifestyle becomes, well, I don't want to eat that because I want to go mountain biking. I don't eat that because, I, you know, I want to be able to climb better. Mm-hmm. And uh, instead of, you know, dragging your butt to the gym, it turns into, man, I can't wait for the next time I'm going to go climb. And mm-hmm. in my world, that just really works. It's, it's the experience that motivates the health, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to diss on plastic or training or anything. I mean, like, 
those are for some people. I mean, I just, you know, happen to live in a place where I can usually get on a rock most of the time, which I don't think most climbers have that, you know, I just, I don't know if you've ever seen this film wide boys about Tom Randall and Pete Whitaker, uh, where they climb the hardest off with in the world, which uh, off with is like a, a wide, a crack that's wider than your fist, but mm. not wide enough that you can slide into. That's killer. And they train for <laughs> two years in their basement on off with they made to come to the United States for three weeks. <laughs> mm. And those guys are some of the most inspiring, energetic, nice climbers you'll ever meet. So I think that um, training, I think, is a personality thing, and then it's also um, it's also a location thing. Right, right. But just like you mentioned, they had a goal, they had a target. And, exactly. Yeah. You know. Anyway, have you ever had a really bad climbing experience that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, I've had um, several um, near-death experiences, mostly that happened when I was in my first couple years of climbing. So I think that, especially with men, um, m- the males who just start climbing in their like younger twenties can be kind of reckless, and and I I know I was. Um, as well, but I had one experience where I uh, was in a climb and it was a traverse. So I traversed out left and then it became a roof, so it was very steep. And um, I was so the climbing was so difficult, I put, couldn't put any gear in, so I just kept climbing, which is a mistake. It's not something an uh, experienced climber does. An experienced climber will either, you know, climb back down, figure, you know, put some gear in and rest on it or something. But I just kept going and I fell and I, um, the rope was caught behind my leg. So you always want to keep the rope in front of you when you're climbing. Got caught behind my leg and I fell head first and I fell about 40 feet oh. and I was lingering about two feet above the ground. Um, and I was headed for a head first fall towards the ground, which, you know, could have killed me or, or done worse. Oh. Um, so that was, that was just a terrible experience. Um, and I think it was the only time I've ever cried <laughs> climbing. I like was just so shocked. I shed a tear and gave my buddies a hug. And um, but I actually the reaction though was pretty interesting because I just got right back on to another climb. I didn't really reflect on it. Um, but yeah, so I've had a couple experiences like that. But I think you know it's <laughs> it's it's something you you see in the in the younger male. You don't see it as much with women. Uh, as women, I think, just tend to be more careful. Um, for I don't know for genetic reasons or maybe it's the testosterone that men have at that age, but um, that's you know that's I, I look when I and I see people climbing too and I think these you know I think I think sometimes you know climbing and eventually you realize there's nothing to prove in climbing, but I think sometimes the younger male um, feels like there's something to prove and I think that's a, a very dangerous thing. Yeah, good word, man. I, I'm glad you brought all that up. I uh, I climbed quite a bit in my young 20s. And it was it was tempting to just try something. Well, what happens if you fall? Oh, I won't fall. You know, <laughs> well, what happens if you fall? I won't, I won't fall. Yeah. And I don't know what that's about, but you know, you get a rush. You do. You get a rush when you do something, you think, "Man, if that had gone wrong, that would have been really wrong." <laughs> but yeah. it's just yeah. not worth it. I mean, I've been raising yeah. my kids and and they're climbers now. And oh, cool. it, as I was raising my family, I was like, "I climbed without a rope and I was an idiot." Don't be mm-hmm, an idiot, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. Be safe so you can come back and enjoy the sport again another day. And mm-hmm. you can mitigate the danger in climbing so well. Climbing can be uh, a very low-risk activity, but you can also mm-hmm. get yourself in trouble in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. So why climb, dude? 
Why do it at all? It's for people that have never climbed. Oh yeah, I don't. I don't really. I, I don't know if I have an argument to climb. That's. <laughs> um, uh, I think certain people are drawn to it. Um, for me, it was just a way to to channel um, some energy that was going to be channeled in a, a more of a negative way. You know, I think for me, it's without climbing, I'd be dead or in jail. I think I've I've written that more than once, and I've I have other friends that. Um, have felt like that as well. Uh, most notably, I think my friend Stacy Bear, who's uh, Iraq and um, Afghanistan, he's a vet, and uh, he's uh, he was you know suicidal when he got out of the military for various reasons that a lot of vets are, um, and he got into climbing and that just set him on his life's course. Um, and now he's the director of the Sierra Club uh, Outdoors mm-hmm. um, program. But I, I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't really. I think climbing's popular enough, and and uh, so many people are drawn to it that I don't really have a, a justification of like for other people to climb. Uh, I, I don't think I have that explanation. Um, but for me personally, it's just like there just really isn't another option. And I just, I just love climbing. I just, I, I can't even really like articulate into a couple of sentences. But just like whatever it is that climbing provides is like exactly what I need for my personality. You know. So. Yeah. Well, I can say this much. I don't believe that climbing is for everybody, though everybody could probably enjoy trying it. But mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not for everybody. But one thing that I have found about climbing that I think is so cool is this mental focus, this singleness of thought. And if you yeah, can't achieve good, that, yeah. you know, if, you, if you can't get there, then that's not the day to climb, for me anyway. If my brain is scattered and, I, and I'm not... I don't have that singular thought, that focus when I'm climbing, mm-hmm. then I'm like, yeah, I'll come back another day. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. But, you know, people that, if you can get that focus and then, you know, hands on rock and, and muscles and sweat and the wind blows and it's the sun and the smells and it, it's an amazing experience. It'll take you places. Absolutely. By now you certainly know who Bent Gate is. That's for a great reason. Bentgate Mountaineering has been sponsoring the Adventure Sports Podcast almost from the beginning, and we really appreciate that. They've made it possible for all the great shows to continue coming your way. We want to say thanks by reminding you to go to them for your backcountry gear. If you live in Colorado, then just stop by their store in Golden. If not, go to bentgate.com. They have what you need from the latest ultralight gear to the tried and true classics for climbing, hiking, and camping like Arcteryx, Hilleberg, Nemo, Western Mountaineering, and many more. Need advice? They have you covered there, too. Their staff are passionate adventurers who can offer help from their own experiences. Bentgate also hosts lots of events and speakers. Check out their website to see the schedule and to see all of their products. Help take care of the Adventure Sports Podcast by getting your gear from Bentgate Mountaineering. Get outside with the Colorado Mountain Club. The CMC offers 3,000 outdoor skills courses, excursions, and special events every year to adventurers of all ages and abilities. Join today and receive an additional three free bonus months at www.cmc.org slash adventuresports and use discount code PODCAST.
Well, let's talk about writing a little bit, Luke. I know that a lot of our listeners um, have blogs or appreciate writing in, in some way. Everybody loves a good book from time to time. So you're making a career out of it, which is awfully cool. And you mentioned earlier that you're passionate about independent publishing. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? How do people independently publish? What is that? Yeah, so I mean, if if you're uh, if you're writing a blog, I mean, you're independently publishing. Um, but I think I guess what what most people think about it when you're actually making money. So um, that that was a, a long road for me, but. I basically started with freelancing for magazines and newspapers and then ultimately working in PR and I had to create magazines and write blog posts and press releases and newspapers. So I kind of, I learned everything in a very traditional role and then um, the publishing industry just, you know, got flipped upside down um, with, uh, with blogs, with social media, with uh, on-demand printing Um so I, when we started publishing the zine, we actually we did it so back asswards that we published a print zine for two years before we even had a website. Wow! And some guy, I was, I gave him a, a copy of the zine. He's like, you know, it'd be pretty easy if you guys started a blog and, uh, <laughs> or a website. I'm like, yeah, he's probably right. <laughs> so we did everything backwards, and uh, we just started publishing the zines like they did in the '80s, and uh, so it, it really started growing. Um, and people started uh, enjoying it. So everything, uh, you know, all of our business comes through those independent means. So I do a big print run of the climbing zine. You know, we do two a year this year. Next year we're bumping up to three a year, and we're we're bumping our numbers. You know, when we started we were printing 100 zines, and now next year I'm printing, I'll be printing 15,000 zines next year. Right on, dude. That's awesome. So, yeah, so the numbers are getting bigger. Um, But, yeah, it just started with that blog, website, social media, um, but it also started with learning how traditional media works, and I just, uh, I guess I kind of have that, like, hip-hop or skate attitude where it's, um, I see things that the traditional media does, and I've had my share of rejection from um, different entities, and I'm kind of just like, you know what, I'd rather do this on my own, and I'd, I'd rather try to do it better than they're doing it, and I think that, um, you know, we're, we're on our way to becoming something that's just as good that, you know, I, I think my books that I publish are just as good as what other climbing publishers publish in their books. So it's kind of this, uh, I guess, a little competitive spirit that I have in myself, but also just the, the tools that have come along, you know, from starting a blog to using just Amazon, you know, I mean, Amazon... <laughs> It has played a huge role, and, and you know you can you can debate whether Amazon is good for the publishing industry or not. But it's given writers like me a platform to independently publish. Um, so there's there's so many factors, and you know, there's I think you just gotta. For me, I just gotta dive into a little bit of everything. You know, I talk about Amazon, but the most important thing to me is independent bookstores. Mm. Um, so selling, you're building relationships with independent bookstores, um, traveling around doing presentations, and you know, trying to connect with every single independent bookstore and um, place that sells magazines and zines in the country right now is is my mission to really be successful. And then on top of that, it's Amazon. On top of that, it's our website. Subscription orders is just a little bit of everything um, to try to try to work it and try to um, you know make a living at it. You know, I I haven't mentioned this on the show before, but my sister is a writer. 
And uh, I forget how many books she has published now, like three, four, something like that. But Mm -hmm. I was watching her writing journey over the years, and one thing that became quickly apparent is that the traditional way of of getting published, um, you know, I've read her books, and then I've read books that are maybe in the same genre that you pick up at Barnes & Noble or something. And I'm like, well, her book Mm -hmm. is so much better than this one. How come she's not Mm -hmm. published? Mm -hmm. And over time... What I realized was, you know, there's only so much real estate in the bookstore. And if that real estate is full, then it's full. It's like, no, that slot's covered. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the publisher looks at your book and, yeah, this is great, but I don't need you. I don't have enough real Mm -hmm. estate right now. Mm -hmm. Or they look at it and they say, well, yeah, this is awesome writing, but, you know, I've got to market this. And I've been marketing this other person for a while, and everybody knows that writer. They don't know you yet. So Mm -hmm. even though you're a better writer, why would I risk this? I already have you know, money in the bank on this other person. And I felt mm-hmm. like, man, it's just, it feels unfair. Not that life is fair, it's not, right? But the whole idea then that you can independently get your writing out there and let the public decide what they love. That's what yeah, I thought was so cool about it. That really, that really nails it on, on the head there. Is, um, it, there's more, I think there's more democracy in, uh, in writing right now, in books. Um, and, you know, I think there's, it's, it's worth, worth saying that, you know, a year down the road, you might, you might see my, my book from a traditional publisher. Cause I think ultimately that, that has to be, you know, if you're trying to reach as many people as you can, um, you might just build your cred up with, and like you say, and build up, build up your name. You know, there might be, you know, it's like, you look at the world, you know, I, I go back to hip hop a lot. They like, you know, the most popular rapper in the world right now puts his music out for free. <laughs> Mm. And then he, then, you know, Chance the Rapper, and then he has gotten uh, advertising deals. He's gotten, um, I'm sure he'll have a record deal eventually, you know. So I think that it, sometimes you just work the independent angle for a while, and then you move into traditional uh, publishing. Um, but sometimes, you know, it, it, it's, just, it's just a journey, you know. But um, I think it's, it's pre- it was, for me, it's, it was pretty easy to get jaded from hearing from traditional publishers and, you know, the world of climbing, writing, climbing, publishing in the United States is still just in its adolescence. You know, it's still growing up. Um, I've talked to some, uh, you know, back to Tom Randall, the English climber. Um, he's, he's told me, you know, he feels like in, in the UK, there's more memoirs from climbers. There's more mm. quality writing from climbers. There's more climbing publishers. So I think that, you gotta you gotta look at the big picture with climbing in the United States and writing about climbing, and I, I think it's still you know it's still in its infancy, it's still in its adolescence where it's it hasn't quite grown up yet, and it's it's actually that's a really exciting you know put put you know insert me into this this scene of writing. It's it's actually very exciting to be able to carve out a niche because there is the audience and there isn't. You know, there isn't thousands of climbers writing climbing memoirs, especially just kind of average climbers. You know, your professional climbers do write memoirs from time to time, but you're not. There's not a ton of uh, of just everyday climbers like myself um, trying trying to become writers. So, right, yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. At least not memoirs. <laughs> you're poised to ride the wave. You know, <laughs> that's very very cool. Let's yeah. talk specifically about your writing now. You so you've published four books. Uh, tell us just a, a soundbite about each one. Yeah, so I've published three books that are collections of short stories and poetry, and uh, you know, writ- stories that have uh, some were written as, as long ago as like 2002. I think 
the first story I really wrote that I was proud of. It's in my first book, Climbing Out of Bed. It's called The Mark Grennan Story, and it was um, about my friend Mark who got cancer in college, and he was a climbing buddy, and we just had some great adventures, and he's alive and well and doing healthy now. Um, so stories like that, just adventures, and, and poetry has always been a, a part of my writing, too. And so I've, I've written three books of those short stories and poetry, and then I've written a memoir called American Climber, which is basically um, kind of starts with me being depressed and growing up in Illinois and then finding climbing and the journey of climbing and then climbing taking me all the way from a gym in my hometown to El Capitan and Indian Creek, uh, El Capitan and Yosemite, and then, you know, climbs in Indian Creek is kind of where the book ends. So, um, yeah, that, the American Climber is the one I'm the most proud of, and then the uh, the other short stories and poetry are, are works I'm I'm proud of too, and it kind of catalogs the journey from you know probably 2000, excuse me, 2002 to 2000, late 2015 when I wrote my most recent book of um, short stories and poetry, which is called Graduating uh, from College Me. Hmm. What do you mean by College Me? So college me, I, I when I graduated college, all I wanted to do was live out of my car and go climbing. And if you continue to do that, I don't think for 99% of climbers, I, I think living that lifestyle like at 40 or 50 or 60, it just it's just not it's not fulfilling for me. Um, so it's kind of like lessons I've learned in that those 10 plus years since I've graduated from college, and and just trying to like really grow up, you know, because I think that. Um, when I was younger, I think, um, you know, like some of the stories in climbing out of bed where it's just like climbing is everything, you know? And, and then, um, as I get older, I'm like, that's such a foolish, foolish thing to believe that climbing mm-hmm. is everything or any sport is everything. Or that's, that's just a, a road to unhappiness, I think, or, or not being content. I mean, maybe there's that one in a million that that works for, but I've, I've never really met anyone who's 40 and just living out of their car and it has no relationship or anything like that, and is totally happy. And there's right. plenty of hybrid, you know, lifestyles out there now. People that live, couples that live in vans and work for companies and travel. But um, my biggest lesson is that these are just, you know, the, you know, climbing's a, a tool. But then, really, I mean, your relationships in your life and your career or what, you know, those are other elements of what's really going to make you happy. And just climbing alone is kind of, uh, it's a fallacy to think that'll make you happy. You know, I think some people try to sell that. There's this mm-hmm. this kind of uh, imaginary lifestyle. It's <laughs> I laugh when I see young people. I'm going to say this. This really does apply, I think. <laughs> I laugh when I see yeah. young people fall in love with the idea of being with girlfriend X or boyfriend Y. They're not in love with girlfriend mm-hmm. X or boyfriend Y. They're in love with the idea of that. Sure. Yeah, you know what yeah. I'm saying? And that's yeah. that's misguided. And, you know, until you really love the person not just the dream, then there's an issue. And I think that sometimes people try to oversell, you know, the, the, the idea of the dirtbag lifestyle. This is it, you know? Especially now, especially now, you know, like, uh, actually, you reminded me of a piece that I'm editing right now for the climbing scene by an author named Kathy Carlo. Um, she's, a, she's, a, she's a younger writer, too. She's in her 20s, but she's definitely coming upon the wisdom and, um, she wrote this essay of um, just the, um, and it's from the female point of view of, but you know, your Instagram account can just show you being a, uh, hers is all about the word badass. And uh, she, she's talking about the implications of people that, especially, you know, women that just 
post photos of themselves being badasses all the time. <laughs> everyone thinks their life is just all about being a badass and there's no vulnerability. There's no scary moments. And she, she explored, you know, this will be in the next scene, but she's just exploring all the make, you know, the possibilities of, you know, the downfalls of other people seeing just your Instagram and just the badass things you do and them thinking that that's what makes you happy when really you have your own ups and downs and there's plenty of vulnerability and scary moments along the way. Yeah. It's that whole FOMO thing that, <laughs> you know, the yeah, fear of missing out if people don't know what that stands for, but it's kind of funny because everyone can present themselves exactly the way that they want to in these little sound bites mm-hmm. and pictures and, and what have you. And that's our modern world. That's the way social media works, but where's the whole package? What's the whole story? Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. That's why you got to read books. <laughs> right on. So where can people yeah. get your books? Yeah, so climbingzine.com is, um, is, is you can find everything there. Um, also, lukemehall.com, um, pretty low-key website I have because most of my energy is into the zine. And then I'm on Amazon, but if you've got an independent bookstore in your town, uh, we've got a directory in the Climbing Zine website. Um, that's, you know, indie bookstores are definitely the best place. And in our website, but um, yeah, like I said, we try to cover every cover every uh, square inch of real estate in the book selling market. So we're we try to be as many places as we can. Right. Well, you know, for all of the the wannabe entrepreneurs out there, you've been living this journey now for a while. Do you have a word of advice on how to make things happen? Um, I mean, just. I think you really just got to want it because um, I, I, you know, ask me five years and if I'm, I'm you know, more successful than I am, but I feel like I'm still just, just trying to make it now and I'm, I'm 38. So I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not like a, <laughs> a millionaire in my thirties or anything. Um, so I don't, I don't know how much I really have, but I think if you, if you want to take the path, you just got to really want it and you just got to be willing to, I mean, I will like, I have begged, uh, shops to carry my zine and, and then they later on they've turned into uh, you know some of my best-selling stores but I think people just won't it a lot of people just won't take you seriously and sometimes you just gotta like I mean I, I, I begged this shop as a shop in Moab and I was like please carry the zine now and they're like well maybe next season and they started carrying it and now they're one of my best sellers so right on. for me it's just like having no having no shame and just like really being persistent and and just also like I think letting the rejection kind of fuel you too, you know, like some of the, some of the rejection letters I've had uh, are just hilarious. when I think about them um, from like what they're saying, like people, people tell you your story doesn't work or tell you your book doesn't work. But like, I've heard that a ton and I've turned around and published it myself. And like you said, you know, let the readers decide they become successful. So if you, if you let every little like rejection letter or any, any sort of rejection like get to you, it's not really going to work. So you got to kind of like use that for fuel and believe in, you know, if you really believe in what you're doing, you got to really test that out and really ride it till the end. Yeah, no doubt about it. It it takes a, a lot of tenacity, some long suffering, I think, because I mean, let's face it in this day, there's so much out there and to, mm-hmm. to, for your voice to be heard above all the noise, it's really hard. It takes that consistency mm-hmm of going after it again and again and again, and over time it builds up, right? But it's not mm-hmm. something that did. The idea that you're going to publish a book and the royalties are come rushing in and you're set for life and woohoo. Right. I mean, yeah. no, 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 no. I mean, Stephen King yeah. had that. He might be the only person that's had that in the last, <laughs> you know, lifetime. I don't know. 
but it's it's just such a rare thing as like winning the lottery. But real life says you got to yeah. go out there and go for it. Yeah, and I think get a job too. I mean, uh, the best piece of advice I had was from uh, this editor who was like, "Yeah, you're you have some talent writing, but you got to work on the basics." So get your get a job at a newspaper, or get a job at a college, or something. So I, you know, I think maybe taking the traditional route and then learning the skills and then turning that into your independent hustle. Um, I think that's definitely good advice for sure. Well, you know what I like about what you've done here, Luke, is you have built this writing business and career, which you really enjoy writing, but you've built that about your climbing and you really enjoy climbing. So the two supplement each other or complement each other, right? And I think it's Mm -hmm. really cool because you're doing two things that you love and uh, creating a lifestyle out of that. How cool. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, you look at if you're doing what you love and then you... (laughs) The number of hours you've spent, you know, I'm making maybe, maybe five bucks an hour in the climbing zine if you look at everything I've spent uh, time-wise, but uh, I have enjoyed it all, and I, I'm eking out a living for sure. I mean, you know, talk to me in five years and, and see where we're at with that, but yeah, I think that, that you, you nailed it. Like, if you if you really love what you're doing, you really love it, you're going you're gonna to make some sacrifices where you wouldn't if you didn't love what you were doing. Oh, yeah, and you know, people say, you know, if you do something that you love, then you'll never work a day in your life. I That's not true, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's some element to that, right? Yeah. There's some element that says, you know, I might love the work I do. And uh, then I, the other one that I always think about is on your deathbed, are you going to say, boy, I wish I would have spent more time in the cube? Yeah, yeah, you know? absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of truth to that, too, um, for sure. Like people that, uh, you could just tell like certain people, like you talk to them. And I think being a writer is something you get that all the time. Like I was getting my haircut the other day at Walmart. <laughs> so I go for the cheapest haircut in town. And <laughs> this lady's like, you know, she's probably in her fifties. And, you know, she's like, you know, I should have been a writer. <laughs> you know, like I hear that all the time from people, like all the time. And you just sense the regret. Not that, not that they weren't a writer, but they're just like, I should have tried, you know? Right. Like, even just trying is because who knows? I might I might not make it. You know, I might I might end up back in higher ed and a PR department. You know, I might you know this is uh it's still um, tenuous if I'm actually going to make it or not. But I I'm definitely going to know if I tried. <laughs> well, you're you're living the life, you're chasing the dream, and I don't think you'll ever regret the life experience. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah, very cool. Well, man, the clock got us already. I've really enjoyed visiting with you today, and I love your perspective. You're, you're a great example of how people can live and pursue an adventure-focused lifestyle. And, you know, whether you strike it rich and, and someday, you know, have all the, the wealth you need or not, you have a wealthy life right now. You're having life experiences that are rewarding and have really benefited you. So I love your example. Thanks for sharing with us. Yeah, thanks. Great talking to you too, Kurt. Yeah, that's awesome. And for all of our listeners out there, you know, we're not saying that this is what you ought to do, but this is an option. It's another option for life in the world today. You know, you can you can do what you love and find a way to uh, build a business around it, build a lifestyle around it. Maybe that's a good idea for you. Maybe it's not. Maybe you just need to be the weekend warrior. But no matter what you do, make sure that you do get out there and have some fun. Coming up on Monday, Kurt talks with Elspeth Beard, who became the first woman to ride a motorcycle around the world solo in 1982. Make sure you check that one out. 
Until then, get out and have some fun.